Thanks for last week. If y'all were here last week, y'all had a treat. If you were not here last week, man, you guys missed out. Hey, you going to need that? Good deal. Appreciate the team, Blake, the team that you have put together, that God has put together around you, both up here and behind, back here is uh, outstanding. Thank you guys for your faithful service. Yeah. So it's funny, you know, God has a sense of humor. He created humor. It's funny that you mentioned the, the, the vision of our church, Blake. I don't think that's coincidence. Because I was going to mention that right now. So I'm going to re-mention it now that you mentioned it. Glad we're on the same page with the Spirit this morning. For sure we are. Uh, so six years ago, just over six years ago, I found myself in Austin at Hyde Park Baptist Church. And so I was going through this process. I was on staff at Crossroads Baptist Church in the Woodlands, and the pastor there at the time, Larry York, had come to me, and my job there was oversee missions and train church planters in their church planting residency, among other things, you know, as a, as a sign. You know how it works in churches. And uh, so I was there, and I just knew, I knew that I knew that I knew that God had called me to plant a church. And Larry was behind this. He kind of, he's the one that approached me like, hey, would you be interested in planting this church out in the Montgomery Wood Forest area? I was like, man, that would just, just resonate with me. It's a long story. You got to come to the membership class to hear the whole story. I'm not going to tell the whole story. But I find myself that day, it was in May, six years ago, it was in May. I don't remember the day, but I remember it was in May of that year. And, uh, you got to realize, like, I've been doing church planting training for years. So I had done this training, but it's part of the process of going through church planter training, going through assessment, to go through training. And I was at this basic training that I had taught many times. So the content was not new to me, but the voice of the Lord that I heard that day was new to me. And this is what I heard. I didn't hear an audible voice. Some people say they hear an audible voice. But I, as clear as day, heard God say this. Uh, I, I, heard, I heard God say, I have not called you to plant a church. I'm like, what? I have I've called you to be a part of a movement. And from that moment on, Hope Church has never been a vision of planting a church. It has always been a vision of joining God in a movement of his, of his spirit, of making disciples and multiplying disciple makers and multiplying churches. So that is who we are. So if you've been wondering, you know, some of you guys are new to Hope, some of you guys are new to Data Hope, like who, who are these people? Well, that is who we are. We are people following Jesus, trying to help as many other people follow Jesus, experience the hope that we have found in Jesus, and being able to share that with other people. And that multiplies, right? The end product of healthy multiplication of disciples is healthy planting of churches. So God, that very day, I don't know why, God gave, gave me a number that we have embraced at this church, 25 churches in 25 years. We were coming up on five years. April of next year will be the five years old, y'all. We're going to celebrate, mark it on your calendar. Our, our, our birthday is April 14th. That's when we started Sunday morning services, weekly Sunday morning services. We are going to party. God is doing a lot of things to prepare. Y'all can be praying for that endeavor. And so up to date, we've, we've planted, God has planted this church and God gave us this building. This is not the church, by the way. This is the place the church gathers. Let's be clear about that. But what a blessing this gathering place is. And we've been able to be a part of planting four churches, four churches in four years. And I'm in talks with another guy. My guess is pretty soon we're going to be a part of planting a fifth church. And who knows? I trust the Lord with his vision of this church. It's so exciting. And I'm humbled. I'm humbled every day 
that I get to do what I get to do. I am humbled right now that I get to stand before you. This is y'all's gift to me. It's God's greatest gift to me to be able to stand in front of you. And I don't take that for granted. On a greater scale, to be a part of this vision, what an amazing thing that we get to do together. And today, specifically, I want to celebrate one of those church plants is a guy named Teddy Sorrell. Teddy and Marilyn Sorrells planted a church two years ago today. They're celebrating their two-year anniversary today. Uh, it's called Living Water Church in Gladewater, Texas, up in, the, I call that Northeast Texas. They call it East Texas, kind of up in the Tyler, Longview, that, that area of Texas. They are celebrating their two-year anniversary today, and I just talked to him on Thursday on the phone. That guy has so much energy, I wish I had half of it, but, but it is a gospel-driven energy. That guy loves Jesus, and he wants people to know Jesus. That's our heartbeat, too. And so to come alongside guys like that, what a gift that is to us. And so, listen, God is working. God is working, and I want to continue to be a part of that. And I know you do, too. So I start a new series today, and the series is called We Are the Church. And it's going to be a three-week journey, a short series, three-week journey, where we're going to laser in on our passage of Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. I have a feeling if you've been around church, you've heard these verses before. But would you go ahead and turn there, Acts chapter 2. I'm going to begin in verse 42. So as you're turning there, I would ask you a question. How would you describe a fellowshipping church. How would you, if you were an artist and you were to draw and paint a picture of a fellowshipping church, what would it look like? I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Jeff Foxworthy, but he has those jokes that he's been around for a long time. He's been around a long time. And this may be an off-putting word these days. I think things that these days, I don't know. I, I don't, sometimes I say things like, is it even okay for me to say this? But, but I think I can because I, this is my heritage. It's my identity. This is what I grew up in. So he has this, uh, uh, you know you're a redneck if. You know what I'm talking about? Like he, so he came out with a new one. I don't know if you've heard it. He says, you know you're in a redneck church if. And he begins to describe those. Here's some of those. The call to worship is y'all come on in. You know you're a redneck church. If people grumble about how Noah let coyotes on the ark, you know you're a redneck church. If the preacher says, I'd like to ask Bubba to help take up the offering and five guys stand up. You know, you're in a redneck church. If a member requests to be buried in his four-wheel drive truck because I ain't never been in a hole it couldn't get me out of, you know, you're in a redneck church. If the only time people lock their cars in the parking lot is during the summer and then only, only then so their neighbors can't leave a bag of squash in their car when they're not looking, you know you're in a redneck church. I've been in one of those churches, so... And, pretty close to Gladewater, actually, pastor a church up there. That happens. If finding and returning a lost sheep is not just a parable, but an actual reason someone will miss church, there you go. You might be a redneck church. High notes on the organ set dogs in parking lots to howling. You know, that may be the case. And if people wonder when Jesus fed the 5,000, whether two fish were bass or catfish, <laughs> you might be in a redneck church. I say all of that in jest, but it does help us to wrap, to wrap our mind around what kind of church that might look like. And so I ask you again, if you were to draw up and paint a picture of a fellowshipping church, what would that look like? Would you know it if you saw it? 
Would you know it if you saw it? So I want to talk about that for three weeks. I really want to laser in on this idea, the Greek word you've probably heard before uh, for fellowship, that when, when we get to that word fellowship in Acts chapter 2, and we're going to read God's word together, it's going to say the word fellowship. The Greek word is koinonia. You've probably heard it before, and it's usually rendered fellowship. And so I want to, I want to dig a little bit. Today we're going to hit the surface, and then the next few weeks we're going to dig a little deeper. Because I want to tell you, as I tell myself this, that, that, that koinonia is not an option for a biblical church. Koinonia is essential. And even deeper than that, koinonia is not just something that the people in the church experience. It's something that the church is. It's an identity. And now we would even go far to say is this, koinonia is the secret sauce of the church of Jesus Christ. So, so if that's true, those are all big words. What, is that, what does that look like? Well, we're going to spend some, some time talking about that, describing that, trying to, I hope after the next three Sundays, I hope you come back, I hope that in the next three Sundays you will have a really clear idea of what biblical koinonia, what a church that truly has biblical koinonia fellowship, what that looks like as, as we answer this question out of our passage in Acts chapter 2, because this is where we find ourselves in church history. When God's spirit falls on his people. When God's spirit falls on his people, what kind of fellowship develops? What kind of koinonia, spirit-driven, people that have experienced the spirit of, of God fallen fresh on them, what kind of fellowship ensues? And so Acts chapter 2 follows, Jesus was, was crucified, he was put in a grave. Three days later, he rose. He spent some time with his disciples. He spent some time teaching and kind of giving them some last commissioning uh, truths. And then he ascended in Acts chapter 1. And, and just as Jesus promised, he said there would be a, an advocate that, that, that would come. And so the Holy Spirit came in, in early in Acts chapter 2. And I find it so interesting when we talk about the coming of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 and being, you know, filled with the Holy Spirit. The first powerful thing, other than the speaking of the many languages. That was the first. The, the second powerful thing that the Spirit empowered someone to do is to tell the truth, to preach the truth. Who was that? Acts chapter 2. It was Peter. This guy who had gone away, he was following Jesus. He'd gone away. He said, I don't even know this Jesus. Remember, he did that three times. I don't even, who are you talking about? I don't even know this Jesus. And Jesus called him back, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. This broken fisherman, this sinful fisherman, he was empowered by the Holy Spirit to do what? To speak about Jesus. And then what happened in Acts chapter, the end of Acts chapter 2, right before verses 42 and verse 40 and 41, we find, it says in verse 41, so those who received his word, those are those people he was speaking to, they received it. They put the faith in, they put faith in this truth about Jesus, that he is the saving one that, that Peter was empowered to speak in Acts chapter 2. 
they, they received his word and were baptized. I think that's, that sequence is important. They received the word. This is why we, when we say biblical baptism, is we say you put your faith in Jesus and then you're baptized by immersion as a symbol of that faith in Jesus. Here we see that model. So those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Wouldn't that be crazy, y'all? Wouldn't that be crazy? God still does that kind of stuff. He could do it here. He could do it today. Even if it was just one, the angels would just have a Jesus party. If, even if it was just one that's here today that would hear the truth about Jesus and would, would faith and believe in that truth that Jesus saves, man, there will be a Jesus party. Man, good stuff. So with all of that said, let's dive into verse 42, Acts chapter 2. So there's 3,000 brand new believers, right? So what happened? What happened to them? The, the spirit has fallen fresh on the, the early church and these people are, are putting their faith in Jesus and they are being baptized. This formation of the early church there in Jerusalem is happening in their midst. And so we kind of have in the following verses at the rawest form what it looks like when the spirit falls on people, what comes out? What kind of church does this look like? What kind of fellowship and community does this look like? So Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's the teaching of the truth. We're now holding God's word. We Most likely that was very much centered in what we now have, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the, the truth about Jesus, uh, the truth that he is the son of God, that he came and lived a perfect life, and he died for all of our sins, and then he rose on the third day. They were preaching this gospel. It's very much being talked about there. And so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Guess what that word is? Koinonia. There's that word. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayer. Some people debate whether the breaking of bread was the, the Lord's Supper, which when we break bread, that definitely is something. could be that. It could be just literally the breaking of bread, like dining together. I personally, I don't know if they were, they were having the Lord's Supper every day. Maybe they were, but I think they were definitely, assuredly, eating together every day. That was part of their community. That was part of their fellowship. And all came upon every soul. There was a sense of reverence in all. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. I, I often wondered, I'm going to come back to that in the next few weeks. I'm not going to touch on the signs and wonders, but maybe the signs and wonders where the apostles were able to find enough kids workers for all of those kids that were running around. Can you imagine, y'all? 3,000 people came to Christ. What kids ministry looked like at the church? I mean, we, we got 100 kids running around. We can't find enough kids workers. By the way, if you, we need your help to work in our kids there. You can sign up on your bulletin right there. We need your help. Maybe that was a signs and wonders that all the kids were, were, were under control, at least some what under control in the organic church of the first century church. Maybe that's what it looked like. I don't know. I am going to come back to that. I, I do believe me. I say that in jest. Verse 44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. They were going to worship and they were gathering, breaking bread around the table together and receiving their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. So I'll ask you again, 
when God's spirit falls on his people, what kind of fellowship ensues? It's this koinonia, that word, you've heard it before, most likely. It's, it's having things in, in common. There's a, there's a deep sense of commonality, of, of unity among the people. And, and there's an idea of, of commonality and sharing. And so, so fellowship, the way, it, the way it's defined, it means a common particip- participation in either receiving something or giving something. There's a, there's a giving and a receiving back and forth that's happening in the early church. As I thought about, if you rewind, or if you fast forward from this day, not quite 2,000 years, not quite, right? But almost 2,000 years. And if you were to take the fellowship that is painted here in these verses and lay it alongside the fellowship we find today in our churches, would they match up? I think in some ways, glory to God, yes, we do see. And I believe our church has been in many ways. We're all, we're growing. We got so far to go, y'all, to grow toward this that we're going to talk about in the next three weeks. But God has been so good to us and generous to us. I hope today that you've already experienced biblical fellowship here in this room and as you came on campus. I mean, we're growing into that. We'll always be growing into that. But I think generally as a whole, I feel like for me, I feel like for me as I hold up what God is saying here is koinonia and what fellowship is these days, I think we have a, probably a nice way to say it would be an incomplete view of biblical koinonia is when we use the term fellowship, and I do this, and sometimes this is my fault, because when I describe fellowship, I, I describe it as, as a biblical, like having a fellowship and fun together. There's a sense of that. Or like later on, our members are going to have a member meal in the fellowship hall, right? Like we have a fellowship hall. It's a, it's a space that we go and eat and, and we, we do life together around tables. That's certainly a part of it. And that's good. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But what I want to say is that's incomplete. But there is a sense of fellowship that today is incomplete. I was walking this morning, and it was so nice and cool. I don't know if y'all went outside this morning, but it, was, it felt so good this morning. It was low, lower humidity, and I went out, and I walked. I'm praying through kind of what, what I'm going to be talking about today, what it means for me, and how best I'm going to try to explain these deep truths, rich truths uh, to us today. And this guy, this guy drove by. I could hear him. He drove by on his golf cart. He's got all his golf clubs in the back of the golf cart. And what is he on his way to do? He's on his way to have some fellowship, some fellowship on the golf course. Listen, that's not the fellowship that we're talking about. That is, a, that is not a life-giving, not this kind of life-giving fellowship. As I opened up, early this morning I woke up, and, and eventually I opened up my, my tablet, and I, I clicked on my Facebook app, and there were some people today that were going to have fellowship at some baseball fields. Oh, I'm going to be stepping on some toes right now. And they're, they're going to miss church. Well, that's a good thing. I like baseball. I'm an Astros fan, y'all. Go Astros. Let's go now. Come on. You think they're going to win this year? Think they're going to win it all again? 
no. It's like, yes, no, maybe. I don't know. I mean, I'm a, I'm a sports fan. I mean, I check ESPN every day. I don't watch it anymore because I don't get, I don't cable, but I check it every day. I, I want to be checking today, the U.S. Open. I'm a tennis player. I used to be back in the day. And so I'm checking the U.S. Open, see, see if Djokovic is going to win. What would be his 24th Grand Slam, which would be crazy if he did that. I'm, I'm a sports fan to the core. But listen, there is no fellowship at any sports event that will ever come close to the koinonia that we're talking about today. That's what I, I want us to have that comparison. It's almost as if if we were to have, I'm reading today out of the English Standard Version, the ESV, if we were to have an MDV, modern day version, maybe these verses would sound like this. It's, and this would be an indictment upon the modern day version of these verses. They were devoted to their comfort, happiness, personal goals, dreams, and bucket list. No one really noticed the Christians because they focused on themselves. Very few of the believers were together, and when they were, they fought about silly things. If they sold anything, they used the money to buy something better for themselves. I'm guilty of that many times. They claimed to love God, but they didn't even love each other. So they felt empty, alone, and depressed. And as a result, most people disliked them, and very few lives were changed. Isn't that sad? But I, I, I'm just trying to, I know there's some really hard things we've got to encounter. As I, as I hold God's word up in the fellowship, generally, I'm not saying this is true of our church, but generally, if you just talk about the church in general today, then that looks a little more like the church than the one that we're reading in Scripture. This is the carrot out in front of us. So when the Spirit of God falls on people and a true church is born, it has some common characteristics. I want you to grab your notes. We're going to cover these three things today, and we're going to go a little deeper in the next two weeks. But the first thing is this. Here, when, when God falls, when the Spirit falls on a church, these three things are always found. We see them really clear in the, in the Scripture. In verse 42, the first is genuine devotion. Genuine devotion. And they, the third word, devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. Listen, I'm going to say the word we. We struggle. We, sh- we I'm, that, that includes me, right? We struggle with the biblical essence of devotion. I heard about a small town that there were, there were four churches. There was a Presbyterian church. There was a Methodist church. There was a Catholic church. There was a Baptist church. And all four of them, there was a, a, a squirrel problem. There were squirrels in all the buildings. And so they all gathered together with the, their councils, whatever they might be, and they all made decisions of how they're going to address this problem of getting the squirrels out of their buildings. And so the Presbyterians met, and they decided that it was predestined that the squirrels be there, so they would just leave them and not do anything about it. Listen, just work with me, all right? Okay, the Methodists, they decided that uh, they would take the, the Charles Wesley approach of kindness and they would, they would humanely trap those squirrels and they would take them out to the park next door and they would put them out there and within three days those squirrels came back. The Catholics got together and they came up with a plan and they also humanely trapped those squirrels and they took them into a classroom and took them through a catechism to train them not to go back into 
the church, and guess what? That did not work. They went back into the church. But, of course, the Baptists had to one-up everybody else, and they had the best, to, best solution. And so they had uh, a member meeting and voted the squirrels as members of the church, and now they only see those squirrels on Christmas and Easter. <laughs> it's so funny because you know there's so much truth to that. It hurts. Listen. It hurts, it burns. I know my jokes are so bad. It's okay. It's okay. When I, when I say this word, we, I, I mean it. We have lost. When it says that in verse 42, they devoted themselves. That word is a word I, my, my spirit lasered in on. And I don't want to use the word resonated because I don't feel like that's the right word. I want to use the word rocked. That word rocked me. Let me tell you why. I started doing a little bit of prayer and research of that specific word. The, the Greek word is, it's a, it's a big, long word. It's proskartereo. <laughs> so we're going to break that word up, all right? Proskartereo. Proskartereo. You've probably never heard that word. That's the word for devotion. So it's a combo word. It's the way the Greek word often works. It has like a base root word, and there'll be a qualifier or enhancing word at the beginning. And so, so let's kind of break it up. The, the word kartereo is the word that we get our word caretaker from. Think about that. If you've ever seen someone that's a caretaker, they care deeply for something and they shepherd that whatever that something is, they care deeply for it and they, for it's good, right? That's what a caretaker does. And so what is pros? Pros or pro is towards. It's an intensifier. And so it's like caretaking on steroids, so to speak. And so that word, when it says devotion, what it, what it means is a care. But it's a, it's a ongoing because that, that word is, a, is in the imperfect tense. It's an ongoing action. So here's why that word is so deeply rocking to me. When it uses the word devotion, there is a constant, ongoing, here's the word that, that, uh, if I, this is the word that scripture that I put, that rocked my spirit. Here's the word, relentless. It's a relentless pursuit of that thing, that whatever that is. And so here's the New Testament church, the spirit is driving this. They were devoted. They were in a constant state of relentlessly pursuing Jesus and the gospel and the building of his church and the gathering together, this koinonia, this fellowship. This is what describes them. And you put this up in the, what are we proskartereoing today? What are we relentlessly pursuing today? Well, we find ourselves relentlessly pursuing the things of our family, the things of our schedule, the things of our work, the things in our house, the things of, I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what it is, but it's an issue if it's not the things of Jesus. And that's what the idea of devotion is. What are we proskartereoing? What are we relentlessly pursuing 
I'll make it more personal to me. And I hope that you do for you. You answer the question for you. What are you fully devoting your life to? Oh, man. Golly. Luciano Pavarotti, what does he do? He sings. He's all right. <laughs> he's one, I mean, he's an opera singer, and if you've never heard him, you need to. He is so gifted. He's such an amazing singer. I mean, I don't ever even understand it. Most of the time it's not in English, but I'm like, man, that is the language of heaven. He just, oh, when he sings, it's so good. He says this, when I was a boy, my father, a baker, introduced me to the wonders of song. He urged me to work very hard to develop my voice. Arrigo Pola, a professional tenor in my hometown of Medina, Italy, took me as a pupil. I also enrolled in a teacher's college. On graduating, I asked my father, shall I be a teacher or a singer? Luciano, my father replied, if you try to sit on two chairs, you will fall between them. For life, you must choose one chair. I chose one. It took seven years of study and frustration before I made my first professional appearance. It took another seven to reach the Metropolitan Opera. And now I think whether it's laying bricks, writing a book, whatever we choose, we should give ourselves to it. Commitment, that's the key. He says three words. Choose one chair. That's devotion. It's what is sitting on the throne of your life. And this is the issue. This is when I, it's the issue for me. I don't know if it's an issue for you. But like, this is what I do. I, I, I truly love what I do. Truly do. I, I, I love teaching you about God's word. I love following Jesus and, and reading God's word for myself. I love it. But as I, as I put this and what it's talking about, this kind of koinonia and this kind of devotion, and I lay it alongside my life. Listen, I don't measure up. I don't. Not to that level, but I want to, and I want us to together. I, I want our coin and the, our fellowship to be defined by a relentless pursuit of walking this journey, of figuring out how, and man, is it hard, to walk in faithfulness, to, to put the one the only one who should be on that throne of our lives all the time in the place that he deserves. That's the idea of lordship, right? When Jesus saves us, he saves us completely, but it's our choice and our privilege and our responsibility to, to put, make him lord our all of our life. And that's what we see. We see a description of a people who have experienced Jesus through the gospel. They've been filled with the Spirit and the gift of the Spirit. And that, what has that done? That it's not created a casual Christianity. It's created the opposite of that. It's not created this comfort, cultural Christians. It's created a full-on, all-in, a sold-out people who is proskartoreo. It's Jesus and his church and that alone. Can you say that? Man, I'm growing into this, y'all. I think we're all growing into this. And I love that there's grace where we fall short, where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. That's so, that's so good news for, for me today. But, but the first thing is genuine, that word, that word devotion, proskartoreo, pros, a relentless 
pursuit, a constant state of relentless pursuit. Man, that is that goal. That should be our goal as a church, that we are together constantly pursuing the lordship of Christ in our life and in our church. The second we find in verse 45, I'm gonna hit these pretty quickly. In verse 45 and following, it talks about this this reality that there was a radical generosity. This is not intended to be a giving sermon. It's not at all. This is not it. But as you look at the early church in verse 45 and 46, you see, and if you read on in Acts chapter 4, verses 33 and 34, it says God's grace was so powerfully at work in them, that early church, that there were no needy people among them. There were not a need. There were no needs among them. Why? Because there was a generosity. They were selling everything and giving as needed. Does that mean that we should sell everything? No, I don't think it means that. But what I do think it clearly means is when the Spirit of God falls on his people, there will always be a byproduct of radical generosity. There, there's a, because that's who Jesus is, right? That's who God is, and that is who we are to be. And I, I, I wish I could tell you the stories, but this church has, from the very beginning, been a generous people in so many ways. We're growing, we're learning, but, man, our, our people are so generous. It took us six months of this year to raise our full budget for the year. And why? Because we're a generous people and God is so good. We do it not because we have to, we want to, we want to. Notice that, this is not a political statement, y'all, but notice that there was no government intervention to meet the needs of the community. The church is supposed to meet the needs of the community. That's why we are here. If we are to be filled with the spirit and we're to be obedient to the spirit, we, it's our job. Not to rely on anybody else. When we see a need, we go meet their need. That's something we've got to work harder on. We are to be the hands and feet of Jesus. It's one of the principal purposes of the church. And the last thing, it's really the whole passage. The foundation of the Spirit of God when it's happening is a definition of intentional and unifying fellowship. There is a unity. They were together. They were in one accord. They were together in their devotion. They were together in their, in their worship. They were together in their fellowship. They were together around the tables. They were together going to the temple. They were together meeting the needs together, together, together. I love the verse, Psalm 133.1. How beautiful it is for brothers and sisters to walk together in unity. Listen, this is so pivotal that the church is walking fully devoted in unity. I believe one of the ways the enemy just loves to bring division in the church is to bring disunity. And God's design is for us to be on one page in one accord with intentional and unifying fellowship. Man. Hmm. I heard a story of a lady named Linda Linda was a young lady, and she had a kind of a rundown old Honda Civic. I don't know. I, had a, I used to have a rundown Honda Civic. I don't know if you've ever had one. But they last a long time, so you see a lot of beater Honda Civics around. She had one, and she was making a journey uh, north in Canada. And she was young. She'd never really done this. It was the fall. It was starting to get cold up high in the mountains. But she needed to go from, from Alberta to the Yukon. So she's going up. And... 
She didn't even know. Like, the only people going up where she was going were four-wheel drives and big trucks. She didn't know. She didn't know any better. All she had was this beater Honda Civic. So she began the journey during the day. In the afternoon, she got up into the mountains and stopped at this mountain town, kind of way up high in the mountains, and stopped at a hotel. And she got to the hotel and checked into the hotel. There was space for her. Only a few of the people were there. There were a couple of trucks that were had already checked in, a couple of truckers. And she said, I got, I got a room. Of course, yes, we have a room. And she says, well, can you wake me up at 5 o'clock a.m.? I got to get going. Can you give me a wake-up call at 5? You know, back in the day when you asked for wake-up calls? Yeah. She said, give me a wake-up call at 5 a.m. And the person checking, checking in is like, she just looked at her kind of weird. Like, like the, no, one, no one does that at 5, 5 a.m. She, she didn't know any better. She was young. And so she woke up. She opened her door at 5 a.m. After, after that wake-up phone call. And she could not see anything. A fog had descended on the mountains. She was already up, so she went and got breakfast. There were only two other people at breakfast that morning, two truckers. No one else was there, so the truckers asked the lady if she wanted to have breakfast with them. The lady's like, sure, I mean, I'm alone, so I'll have breakfast with you guys. And so they began to ask her, where's she going? Well, she's going through these mountains to Whitehorse. And they said, you, you can't go to Whitehorse. Yeah. You're not going to be able to see in, in your car. That's a be- <laughs> your, your car will never, ever make it. She's like, well, I got to. I got, I got to be there in a couple of days, and I got to, I got to get going no matter what. And so one of the truckers looked at her and told her they weren't going to be able to, to waver her resolve and said, okay, then we'll just have to hug you. And she said, you're not hugging me. <laughs> and he's like, no, no, that's not what I mean. Here's what I mean. We will go, I will go on ahead of you. And I'll go real slow on this mountain road. And you follow me. And you look for my lights, my little red lights on the back. You look for my lights. Stay within distance where you can see the lights. Not too close, not too far away. You see the lights. And then my friend, this other trucker here, he'll follow behind you. And he'll follow close behind you. That way, if there's a problem, I'm in front. You follow me. If there's a problem, you're behind. You have support from behind. And this is what they did. They hugged her all the way to her destination. True story, evidently. To me, that is a description of biblical koinonia. Listen, I need, I, need, I need the body of Christ to go where God is leading me to go. The church needs each other. There is a, uh, there is a reality. This is the way I would describe it. The man's going to come up, and we're going to have a closing song. And I do want to kind of land this and have some practical things that I want to give you to take home today. He's like, what do you do with the Scripture But here's the reality of the church. Here's the way I would describe it in closing. It is a giant spiritual caravan. You ever thought of it that way? We are all going through this world, which many times are storms. Many times it's foggy. You don't know how to even tread. You don't know your next step. And God gave us the gift of each other. Gave us the gift of koinonia. What does that mean? That means that together we, we hug toward the cause that God has toward us. We, there are people who have gone before that we're following. I have people in this church that I look up to that I'm following. And you should have people that you're following. And you should also have people that you are leading. And we are connected, interconnected. Why? Because it's essential. Because we're a giant spiritual caravan Koinonia, koinoniaing. I made that word up because that's not Greek. Together, toward your good and toward this incredible mission that God has 
for us. So what do we do with this? A few take-homes. First is this. Read God's word. (laughs) I don't know if you missed that, but what were they devoting themselves to? They were devoting themselves to the scriptures. This week, if you want to practice what the early church was doing, they knew they needed to devote themselves to read this. That's so simple. We can all do that. We should do it this week individually. We should do that in, in, together, both individually and together. Come back this week. Come back this week as we open God's word together. Second is find a place to serve in the church. They were serving. They were just giving and serving. The third, if you're not giving, give to the church and see what God does. They were living a generous life and they were, it was so life-giving. Giving, it should never be life-taking. It should always be life-giving. And the last is, man, this, uh, this y'all, hello. <laughs> this y'all, don't miss this. This is an invite to biblical koinonia. Find a hope group. Biblical community happens best in these groups. There's some incredible ones that have been going. There's a bunch of new ones that are starting. Look at the Hope Groups page. We have some on campus Sundays. I'm hosting one in my home Monday. You see Tuesday, the Gillies are hosting, the Barlows, the Carwells, the Lewises. Listen, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Sunday. If you can't make that one, tell me. We'll start one Wednesday. We'll start one Saturday. Why? Because Koinonia is not... An option, it is essential. It's vital for us. I would ask you, if you already know a group, like go ahead and fill it out and, and put it in the offering box on the way out. But take this home. Spend some time praying. They, all of these start up next week, September 17th and following. That's next Sunday. Mine starts not tomorrow, but the week after tomorrow. And all, all of them kind of cascade from that. I hope you find a group. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for your word. I feel like for me, there's an invitation and really a challenge that I want to extend to my brothers and sisters in Christ in this room today. It's to answer this question, how can we be fully devoted to Jesus, to you and and your church? I pray for clarity in that for myself. I pray for clarity and boldness in that for all of us who are part of the church this week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.